At the end of the day, if we can't be people of conversion, then we're not Christians. <laughs> Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I am Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I'm here with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of Christ Church Anglican in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. How are you guys doing today? Excellent. Yep, great, Nick. Either one of you guys show up on Neil Shenvey's map of evangelical <laughs> Twitter influencers yet? I showed up. You did? I was in, I was in table four, right, yeah. How about are you? Serious? You? I got it. I I I made it. This yeah, go ahead. is so legit. I can't even believe it. <laughs> I thought I didn't think when they were like less than 100 followers. I was like maybe I'll get on that one or something but I didn't <laughs> No, it was that. like in the second iteration of it. So me and I was on the same table as uh Wow, well, uh, we should just talk about that. That's <laughs> news to me. What else? So who else were you with? You were with Dumay, I'm sure, and you were yeah. with Alison Barr and um, She they were on the opposite Martin side of the room. They're on the other side of the room, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. oh, I was surprised to see myself there because I don't I mean I looked at the other people I, who I was categorized with and I have significantly fewer followers in AF but still oh well you have more um, followers now since we started this podcast than before so I think you I do us. I, I do think basically people just assume uh, I just sort of say that if, if they're going to follow me they just go ahead and follow you that's that's how I've determined it because that's how I've justified my my paltry uh, few. Well, now you have, you started off like 200, now you're like 500 since we started. Well, yeah. the problem yeah. is I start, you know, I realized this the other day, I was, you know, every now on Facebook pops up, you know, things you used to, you used to put like 12 years ago or whatever. Like I started, when I started doing Facebook, it was before Twitter and I was using Facebook like Twitter. Like I have all these little, yeah. like one line, little kind of quips, you know, or like I was going to the store and I thought something was funny and took a picture. And then I gave up on that because that wasn't what Facebook ended up becoming. And then when Twitter started, I signed up like the first day and didn't know how to use it. And then no one really did and didn't tweet for like 10 years. <laughs> you know, it was like, I have like, like 2012 and then 2021. It's like the next tweet. But, uh, but it is funny. Cause I was like, gosh, I was pretty funny back on Facebook. Today. <laughs> and, and then now I don't do anything at all like that on either one of the platforms. So it's just me and my, um, you know, TikTok, uh, my anonymous TikTok that I, uh, I have even, I have no idea what TikTok is, except for watching libs of TikTok and realize right. it seems like a, a slice of hell. But hellscape, yeah. <laughs> well, congratulations, Matt. And I feel like, yeah, I made it. Time. I should Place say for the, the record, I should say for the record that I had no idea when I made the, that little opening joke that you had actually been on there i we need to start treating you nicer or something are you gonna yeah you should him? actually it's a good are point are you going to huh? talk to him about removing your name because you feel like it's an invasion of your public your incredibly public privacy <laughs> it's like i reserve the right in my entirely public you know uh <laughs> twitter twitter account for yeah. to, be, to be selectively <laughs> in my i think that's just the funniest thing that's going on is that people are you know how dare you take my public account check, quote unquote blue check people it's like how dare you take my you know my <laughs> sort of self uh important uh, ramblings to thousands tens of thousands of people and um <laughs> them for anything other than the way i would like them directed it's like it's always a little bit like and this is not to be too uh, far afield but it's you know the, the the public the people that are famous who complain about being famous you know because it's it's like well you know there is a compensation you're getting for this invasion of privacy that um that you could exchange you know there's an easy way to not be famous and not get paid you know tens of millions of dollars and that's just to to 
to back away. You know, it's a little bit like, I don't know if you saw, did you realize um, Rick Moranis? So, so this is a somewhat of an aside, but I was watching with my kids, um, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, uh, which, you know, is like basically X-rated now because it has a scene where the guy smokes. Remember? <laughs> right. <laughs> no. But um, so they're like, we don't mind any of the other things, but there's smoking involved. But um, <laughs> but I was interested, like, what happened to Rick Moranis? And I kind of went on a little, you know, internet uh, thing. And it turns out that he, like, you know, after all the movies, Ghostbusters and things, got like super famous and, and quite rich very quickly and then just decided it wasn't worth it and pulled away and, and now he lives like, you know, probably he's not very recognizable to, to, to not our generation. And I don't know where he lives or whatever, but it was really quite fascinating because he just walked away and said, I had my know, money, made enough money, made enough <laughs> movies. Cause you know, at one point he was like the highest paid, like, you know, comedic actor is like a, you know, Martin short type thing. And then uh, you know, nowhere, but anyway, that's you, Matt. So before the before the fame goes to your head, Matt, before, you know, uh, reach out we're here to help before, um, you know, behind the music, Matt Kennedy, we knew you win. Well, this week, there's been a lot of talk about Canada's Bill C-4, which became law on January 7th, a bill which is framed as a ban on quote-unquote conversion therapy that is trying to change a person's sexual orientation to heterosexual change a person's gender identity to cisgender change a person's gender expression so that it conforms to the sex assigned at birth and so on this bill that purports to be this ban on conversion therapy was seen months ago as soon as it was proffered as a gateway to the criminalization of biblical teaching and preaching and there was a movement led by John MacArthur and others to preach in specific defiance of this law about biblical sexuality this past Sunday. And now, brought to our attention by a loyal listener, there have been two people criminally charged in Finland under a similar law. One of them, a member of parliament, was charged for quoting from Romans 1, and the other, a Bishop in the Evangelical Lutheran Mission Diocese of Finland was charged for publishing her booklet, the Member of Parliaments, back in 2004, called Male and Female, He Created Them Both, are charged with, quote, incitement against a minority group and could face six years in prison. Now, gen gentlemen, we are assured that religious liberty in America is not and will not be under attack, but... What do you make of these developments? I'm not, I'm not so sure myself, but, but uh, I mean, I, I know that they say that, but there's, there, there are many ways to skin a cat. And I'm sure that those who would love to skin our, uh, our religious freedom will find a way. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really incredible. If you read through the law, as, as it's written, um, a parent who stands in the way of his or her child deciding to be a woman if or a girl or a boy if opposite of the of the uh, birth sex could be prosecuted into this thing i mean it's mm -hmm. it, you you could go to jail for five or six years for for standing in the way of your child your six-year-old child seven-year-old child deciding to be a boy if she's a girl uh, standing in the way of her or him mutilating himself or herself. Also, I mean, just it, it, the way that it reads, it's, it's you know, we, when you hear reassignment therapy, you, you, you think, you know, electric shock, 
painful, torturous ways of, of, of getting people to, to, to re-identify as something other than they are. That, that's not what this law deals right. with. It does deal with that, but it deals with far, far more than that. It deals with any kind of, any kind of objection to somebody identifying as uh, other than their birth sex. Uh, it deals with any kind of any any attempt to to suggest to somebody they shouldn't act on their sexual identity. So yeah, let I me mean, quoting Romans chapter one, quoting First Corinthians six chapter nine, First uh, Corinthians six nine. Yeah, that would that would do it. <laughs> uh, you'd yeah. be, you'd be in violation of the law. I mean, it's the logical end, I think, of the transition from, well, into the quote-unquote sexual identity world. You know, once when, once people assumed, we've talked about this before, once people um, uh, agreed that your your sort of sexual preferences or your um, your actual sort of constitutive identity was wrapped up in your, well, your your idea of your own gender or your idea of your own sort of sexual identity, well, then it's logical that the next step would be that to to question that or to try to change it would be, you know, the equivalent of of seemingly trying to change your ethnicity or something, you know, or trying trying to um, to 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 fundamentally alter your your very being, you know, which um, I think is I think you know what people. I mean, that, that seems to be the logic. And we've seen this before. You know, it began when you started hearing rumblings like in Europe and particularly the UK about adoption agencies and things. You hear people talk about how if you, unless you said that you were open to raising a child in its particular sort of sexual expression or identity, then you would not be allowed to adopt because that would be seen as tantamount to child abuse. You know, this was the beginning. And people said all the time, well, you know, that's just an outlier. That's an extreme. But it's just... That was the the first iterations of, or the first the first sort of sightings of the actual logic that was underlying the entire movement. Because once once you buy into that, well, then well, let's put it this way: the entire logic of the the entire argument of conversion itself, you know, um, is something that's an affront and something that's a, in many people's minds, should be made illegal, you know, proselytization, the idea that you actually have an argument about the truth that is a disagreement about your truth is not your truth, like your truth is in fact a lie, and we're here to help correct that. Well, all of these things are one part of a whole that people are trying to overthrow because it um, continues to, to bring into stark relief the argument which is the that which provokes wrath that there is a god and you're not him i mean that's the that's the problem and so but this is really quite troubling and i think that that the the preachers you know i preached it wasn't as explicit about the specific things going on in canada just because it was an imposition into our um sort of church discussion that was very few people in our church knew exactly what was going on but I did make a point to talk about how conversion was an affront um, to to the unconverted, and yet the the Christian Church, in particular, with the Apostle Paul as our guide, is nothing if not the collection and the the sort of league of the converted. Like we are the those who have repented, like those who have seen the error of our ways, and however imperfectly, are um, you know at various degrees in the process of amending. Um, in light of God's atonement through his son and 
various points along the way of walking back from the the pig pods to the prodigal, you know, um, or, or various ways returning home to the father. And that's a painful road, but it's a joyful road, one with great rejoicing uh, for the converted. And, you know, that's increasingly going to be seen. I mean, well, we've seen this throughout the, all of the other arguments, the the sort of the, the quote unquote uh, colonialism, you know, that is inherent in the um, evangelistic um, effort, you know, the idea that you would go into another culture and bring them your your religion, you know, whatever the religion may be, it happens to be since uh, Christianity is it's inherently evangelistic, you know, often associated with Christianity, but the idea that that would be an affront, you know, how dare you bring your morals and your sort of Western Eurocentric ideas onto people who didn't want it, you know, didn't, I mean, this, all of it's, again, part of a whole that we are just watching people react to, and I'm grateful that there are people um, that there we are people who are identifying it and and doing our part to um, stand up against it because at the end of the day if we can't be people of conversion then we're not Christians <laughs> you know what I mean I just don't think there's much uh, else we could say and so as you've pointed out Matt of course we decry inhuman cruel and in you know flatly illegal ways of convincing and correcting people's behavior i mean that's you know whatever the case may be but we certainly affirm the right of parents in particular christian parents to prayerfully guide and uh instruct and and lovingly correct their children um away from harmful self-destructive ways of thinking about themselves in the world which increasingly are seen as cruel and inhuman um, interventions by the world. And that's where we are. Guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but this does not strike me as relativistic. This is actually a frontal assault on God's created order because the way this law is written is not relativistic. Like I said, it is perfectly legal to convince, coerce, and get a kid to transition from heterosexuality to homosexuality, from cisgender to transgender. It is only illegal to go the other way. And as I read it, and I'm certainly no expert, it seems that if a child who presents as, say, a boy, even begins to have a hint of confusion or dysphoria, the only legal path that a parent or healthcare provider can take is to push them to transition. Any sort of counsel toward recovery of the birth gender is hereby illegal. So this is not sort of to each his own. This is defining a new orthodoxy that must be upheld. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, what's so interesting about what one of the things is so interesting and scary about the whole thing because you know if this were a the typical postmodern type of legislation it, w- it would not read like this I mean, because postmodernity the the idea is well we just don't know no one can know right. since we can't know we can't make any firm laws one way or the other and so everyone believe what you want to believe and no one enforce their own opinions on others but no, no this is this is not that this is we know. Well, it reminds me of the uh, in 1984 where promiscuity is not a indifferent 
sort of way of living. It was in fact, <clears throat> not just the norm, but the expected norm. And so when you were not participating in the quote unquote norm of promiscuity and sort of, you know, uh, multiple sex partners, then you were not just seen as odd, but you're actually punished, or at least it was, it was a, it was a social faux pas. And it reminds me of that because it's, if it was live and let live, well, then we would see an entirely different law. But what's actually the case is that the vision of freedom or the vision of, of normalcy has to be prosecuted almost um, because the rejection of it is a judgment. I mean, that's what it's always the case is that the, you know, it's like the person who's, um, you know, not drinking at a fraternity party or the person who's abstaining from sex in, in well, at a fraternity party or the person who's, uh, <laughs> the person, you know, the person who is bringing into question the societal norms is always considered to be, um, always brings up the, the, the possibility of judgment. You know, well, what's wrong with this? What's wrong with what's going on? And I think that if you, you bring into question any of it, well, then you bring into question all of it. Because if some one kid can be turned back from the, the possibility of transitioning at the very, and not just like the possibility of it, but actually determine that it was, a, it was wrong to even consider it, you know, actually make a judgment. Well, then it brings into question the entire, the entire system. And so that's, it's unsurprising to me that, that voices, contrary voices are being, they're attempting to eradicate them because, you know, it's always the case with sin, the law and the gospel is that the people think that the only reason judgment is being levied is because the law is being articulated, then not that it's written on their heart. And so if we can silence those who are saying it, well, then somehow we'll be free. And that's just the, that's the sad condemnation of the world, because as John the Baptist says, uh, you know, rocks will cry out um, if necessary, and your body will continue to cry out, and the, the world will continue to preach the fact that you are small and insignificant before the grandeur and majesty of a creator. And you can fight against that all you want and silence the preachers and try to convince all of your kindergarten class that their bodies mean nothing except for what they want them to, because that'll make you feel better. But at the end of the day, you're going to still um, be, uh, you know, dead in your trespasses and sins. <laughs> and I think this is, you know, this is just, it's a frightening world to raise children in, to be sure. I mean, I think the world's always probably pretty frightening for parents, but it is, I'm grateful that it's unsurprising from a theological perspective and from a biblical perspective to see um, how clearly these hands are being played because they're, they're so obviously not open-minded, so obviously not tolerant and live and let live. And so clearly hell-bent, appropriately so, on silencing the voice of the creator God in the world, that it's, it's not pitiable to exactly, but it's, it's almost, it's almost, uh, you know, if, if, if they didn't have the power of the state behind them, well, that would be, um, that makes it much more frightening, but, but it's so clear, it's so obvious, and it's, um, it actually counterintuitively is, makes me almost more excited to preach, more excited to teach, um, and be a Christian pastor during these times because we're watching in real time the reality of Romans 1 uh, play out in front of us. And that's the opportunity for some real harvest. But yeah, it certainly isn't what they warned us about, the, the moral relativism that was going to be the case. It is definitely a moral absolutism, just happens to be, um, you know, determinately against any, any Christian idea of morality. You know, it's, it's interesting too, you know, we've, we've gone through two years of COVID and Christians fighting with each other about whether or not obeying or disobeying government mandates 
for meeting or whether that, whether that was an essential thing to do or not. But, but I, I agree with you. This is something to be thankful for because in some sense, not no one likes persecution, but, but it's so clear. Yeah. If, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and if your church is an Orthodox church and you're in Canada, your pathway is now laid out for you very clearly. You, you preach the gospel and you very clearly preach about the, the God creating us male and female and, and the context for sexuality to be within marriage and how marriage is a reflection itself of the gospel. You have no choice now if you're a believer. And so, and so you know, what we, the, the best outcome at this point would be for every single actually genuine Christian church in Canada to, to proclaim this from the, from the pulpit every Sunday, not just one Sunday, but every Sunday. And hey, let some, let some pastors get arrested. Let lots of pastors get arrested. Yeah, let, let, them, let them lock let them lock, try to lock the Christian church down. Yeah. That would be the best thing that could happen because we all know that when that happens and things like that happen, the, the, the gospel uh, doesn't get shut down. Those who are trying to shut down the gospel find that it's, it's, you know, the gates of hell don't prevail of the church. And that could actually maybe lead to a revival in Canada. Who knows? So I, I, I pray that the, 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 the genuine churches in Canada will just every Sunday from now on say something explicitly doesn't have to be the whole sermon, but yeah, explicitly, maybe in the, in the announcements. Oh, by the way, marriage between a man and the woman. And well, that's why if we if just you go are... back to the ACNA, if we just <laughs> right, go back right, to right, right, reasoning right. our three points yeah. on the front of our, like yeah. we'd all be in, in violation of some law yeah. in Canada, but that's fine. I mean, that's where, yeah, it's, un, it's, it's, you know, and it's also a, a judgment on the people who said these are all indifference, um, sort of adiaphora matters, you know, as if they've ever been unimportant, you know, the, the body, um, sexuality, you know, creation, all these things. But it's um, obviously so important to the secular world in Canada that they're considering making it illegal to simply question the idea. Well, that should that should bring up to the rest of us as to whether or not if it's that important to them, well, maybe it should be that important to us, you know, and I right. think this is where of course, the ACNA, you know, much to some people's chagrin, we made this decision a decade or so ago, and we're still walking through the ramifications of that. But I think the prophetic nature of that is being proven more and more um, every day as we see, you know, we cannot get away as much as some people may want to from our association with these now, you know, vigilante preachers in Canada who are deigning to question the prevailing conventional wisdom of the world, because that's in our DNA and that's our fundamental uh, sort of reason for being as a church. And so we better come to grips very quickly with whether or not how and whether and and well, how and whether we're going to teach, preach, and defend this, because in, if you're a part of our church, well, then you have no choice, and that's by design, and praise God. I mean, we can stand very clearly and forthrightly with these people and hopefully not force the same question, but if it does get asked, well, then by uh, ordination and by constitution and by conviction, hopefully, we're already implicated. And so, so be it because, yeah, I mean, the whole idea, the whole idea of, of sort of divorcing parents' rights from the um, raising of their children is such a um, sort of counter, counter Christian idea in the first place, you know, much less um, just sort of a, a classic play from sort of status and absolutist governments and things. I mean, you know, you can go down the line, but, but hopefully 
parents, even, you know, sort of nominally Christian, if not just kind of God-fearing atheist parents, will begin to question the wisdom of allowing the state to encroach on its sort of parental oversight at a certain degree. I mean, that's what I, I hope, at least. I might be naive, but I'm, I'm hoping that they've overplayed their hand to a certain degree and that um, there might be some pushback. That, that's, that's my hope. I mean, again, I'm, I'm, I'm not an optimist, but I'm not a pessimist, uh, but that, that's where we are. I think that wokeness is, we've been talking about this wokeness for ages, Um, but I think it, it does seem like, I mean, it does seem like it may be running its course. There may be some, there's enough pushback now. There's enough people seeing through it that it, it doesn't have the uh, calling someone a racist. Now it doesn't have the power it used to have calling someone a white supremacist doesn't have the power it used to have. There, there seems to be, at least in the United States, a, a, a growing, suspicion of that kind of, of that kind of talk I think that's why we saw the, the change in the elections we saw and you know, earlier this year mm-hmm. um, and maybe we'll see another kind of change uh, later on so maybe people are, are beginning to see to see through it but it is if it doesn't if it's not opposed if this kind of thing isn't pushed back then we're looking at a real a real apocalyptic landscape for our <laughs> For our, our nation, our church. I mean, I imagine in the United States, the laws are are, are are a little bit more conducive for free speech than they are in Canada. But like I said, I think if it, there's more than one way to skin a cat. I mean, it, it wouldn't be that difficult, I don't think, were the kind of thought about the self that Canada has enshrined in its law to become universally or more or essentially universally held in the United States. It wouldn't be that difficult to say, okay, well, we're going to describe any kind of talk about sexuality that's not not consistent with sexuality as defined by the self as political speech. So you'll lose your tax exempt status, um, and and just that, just losing tax exempt status, that would destroy a good a, a huge percentage yeah. of churches in the U.S. The churches would not be able to support themselves and, and close down. Then, I mean. The hate speech laws are kind of interesting too. I mean, they're, they're just the, the idea that speech can be added to a crime already committed and made the crime worse, that also could be an avenue that, that could be, you know, continue to be encroached yeah. upon. And and so I, I I don't think that we're out of the woods. And I think you're right, JD. I think I think the ACNA, just to put a little advertisement out there, if you're not ACNA, is the perfect place to be. We've we have it in Amen. our constitution. We have the, we have it in our constitution. That's right. You cannot be in the ACNA if you believe that tr- that the gender is transitory, or that uh, sex between a man and a man or a woman and a woman is okay. You can't. Our, it says so in our constitution. Right. I'm not sure what would the ANIC, the Anglican, um, the ACNA branch in the, in the in Canada. I'm not sure how they're going to navigate this. I'm not sure how the state, the, the Canadian government, is going to deal with them because it's one thing to, to prosecute to say well you can't on a sunday morning have a sermon about this or you can't you can't counsel people not to change their or no or you can't counsel people to change their orientation what do you do with the whole denomination that has yeah. in its constitution yeah. <laughs> something in violation of your of your law yeah. I, I, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to have this plays out. Um, and I, and I would, I would hope, I mean, if, if there are any ACNA, ACNA, ANIC, ANIC, uh, bishops or leaders listening, 
man, push this thing. Let's see. Let's 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 see what the Canadian government does. Yeah. Push it. But make that very clear that your constitution stands in violation of their law and see what happens. Yeah. Well, we're seeing what happens a little bit with those people in Finland. I mean, you know, with yeah. people in, I mean, at least a certain um, you know, logical end of that also. And I think, you know, you, you mentioned it briefly before, but the various uh, appreciations of the freedom of speech. I mean, we can appreciate the uniqueness of our American, you know, constitution with our Bill of Rights. That that we do have a Bill of Rights that are enumerated and not contingent upon the will of the state. I mean, that's why they're rights, you know, inalienable rights in the first place. And again, you know, there are people who are actively trying to overthrow the inalienable aspect of our rights. And, and you know, but we actually we actually believe that speech can be harmful. And of course, you know, it's been adjudicated down through our history, you know, can't yell fire in a crowded room and things. But we also believe that the suppression of, of speech is more dangerous than the free than the free exercise of it. And so uh, that's where we're going to run head into uh, head first into this conflict in the way that perhaps Canadians, maybe the Australians, maybe the Finnish, you know, even the uh, parliamentary system in the UK, I mean, they're not working with this in the same way, because we actually believe and this was hard wrought by the founders of our country, that there are things more dangerous, i.e. totalitarianism and the Leviathan, than letting people offend each other and letting people just simply say things out loud that other people would find offensive and even, even uh, defamatory or derogatory. That's what's coming to a head. And I think we're going to be on the forefront of that because what we, you know, eventually what's going to happen is like the little sisters of the poor, you know, hopefully pastors like us, I mean, we, you know, we're sort of bombastic online, but I mean, you know, we're actually just pastors who, you know, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice, you know, we're going to say, listen, all I'm doing is simply saying something about who I think God is and what his design for the world is. And I'm not advocating cruelty or physical harm or um, emotional manipulation. I'm not, you know, barging into people's homes that disagree with me and taking their children who, you know, are being raised as transgender or whatever, and, and do, trying to do anything other than to simply to reclaim in speech into the world what God has given us to say, and you're going to put me in prison for this. Like, let's just be clear. This is what's going to happen. And they I think don't want to put you in prison. See, this is the thing. I, I read a couple of, of interviews with these people in Finland who were charged. And I think that they really help shine a light on what these laws are actually intended to accomplish. I don't think that the Canadian government is interested in arresting and jailing a bunch of people, especially not leaders of churches. What they are interested in is what you said earlier, J.D. They just want this announcement to stop. They want oh, right. the They the want speech, the sure. word of God to be quiet. And this, um, these people in Finland, they're not really worried about their own upcoming trials. What they're worried about is the people who are watching That's who right. are now going to be afraid to speak the truth. That's right. Well, and look at the history of prophets in the world anyway. I mean, like the entire, I mean, almost every prophet in the Old Testament was killed or harassed or harangued, you know? I mean, like the, you know, the early church was, were all thrown to the wolves, I mean, the, to the lions. And, you know, I'm always thinking about the guy in Bourbon Street. I mean, this is just telling me why 
I think a lot about Bourbon Street in my my life when it's like sort of dark and light um, as a growing up in Baton Rouge. But there's a guy who walks Bourbon Street, at least when I was growing up, with a cross on his back up and down the street um, every night, you know, and he's a little bit of what we would call a hard shell, hellfire and brimstone type preacher. But you talk about a guy that gets harassed and threatened and often accosted. And all he's doing is preaching, bringing the law to bear into a rather kind of well, d- d- disgusting, place. ungodly, <laughs> godless place. And you're like, well, you know, you think our, our initial, our, our idea would be, well, that guy is harsh in my buzz, right? Like I was having fun at the, um, you know, Big Daddy um, bottomless topless bar or whatever, um, until I saw the guy with the cross. And that's the confusion of the world. That's the lostness of the world, because what the cross is simply doing, what Jesus says in John 3, 17, is revealing the, the current state of condemnation on the world. Like, you're already in the middle of condemnation, and what the cross is doing is revealing the depths of it. And so that's what's happening to this entire conversation, is that we're not, we're not saying that if you are a parent who has a four-year-old who is considering getting trans transitioning or whatever, that that is what is causing the condemnation. We're saying that the reality of a world where you're considering that is one under judgment. And that's what we're coming to, to bring res- uh, reconciliation to, redemption to, not further condemnation and further judgment. And that's the that's the sad, you know, Paul was talking about in our readings from this past week, the the mute idols of the world, you know, this, this idea of sort of sexual gratification and sexual identity is somehow being that which will finally answer my problems. And you have these, like, in many of the cases, I mean, I don't know across the board, but you see some of these videos of these obviously dysfunctional parents who are celebrating their quote-unquote transitioning young children and it's just the most clear picture of people compensating and using their children for their own problems Um, and you want to say you know you have some problems you have some despair and destruction and live in a condemned world and you think the promise held out to you is that somehow you can redeem this through the sort of free freeing of your child, you know, to, for, to be their best life now or whatever the case may be. And it's simply the, the further condemnation of the, the lie of the mute idols of the world. And that's what we're watching. And we are bringing to bear the voice of God, um, both law and gospel, but of course the law provokes wrath and until the, the wrath is extinguished in the cross. And so, you know, people are gonna get really hot, fired up, hot, mad when you question their their direction and their their gods and yet as we know sometimes that wrath burns hottest at its end before it's extinguished and that's where that's where we are is that you know flail around with me until you finally give up and we'll see you on the other side of baptism you know <laughs> um um sort of so to speak and anyway i mean i i, I don't i don't relish this by any means you know, I mean, I'd love to live in a different time, I think, you know, where you didn't have to fight about such fundamental things. But at the same time, it has brought a great clarity to what we do and what we preach and what we say. And um, I think that at the very least, it's a um, it's it's an opportunity in the midst of these challenges to be uh, forthright and courageous. And I'm grateful for, you know, those people in Canada that are that are standing firm. I mean, it's it, you mentioned the prophets. <laughs> I mean, if you go back and I mean, we we look at them now in hindsight, and we think, oh, these, you know, of course, they are so confident, and they um, they knew. I mean, I guess one of the dangers of reading history afterwards is you don't fully put yourself in the 
place to the people who were there at the time. And, you know, it probably wasn't at all clear during Ahab's reign, for example, that, that, <laughs> that no matter how many prophets he killed, that he was doomed and that, and that his regime was doomed. I mean, the, the prophet said that, but I mean, if you were, if you were an onlooker at the time, you would have thought, no, come on. Or the uh, next Ahab. prophet. Yeah, 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 that's Ahab, right. Yeah, Ahab has all the power here. This is this is not going to go well. But because we have this long history of of prophets and apostles, and then uh, everyday Christians and pastors and bishops, uh, you know, speaking and 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 being willing to be killed in painful ways, and and so far the the score is you know uh, zero to uh, I guess what. Uh, depending on how old you think the earth is uh, 6,000 years. I mean, so we, we've <laughs> won. Recorded I mean, <laughs> history. So I mean so far it, it turns out God has won everything. That's right. and, and then no matter what, maybe what, he's sleeping, maybe yeah. let's pour some more water <laughs> right. on there. Maybe he's right. Maybe he's, so, I mean, it's, I, I kind of feel sorry for the Canadian government in one sense. And then, and then they, they don't know who they're fighting and they, they don't know who they're, who they're tangling with. And no matter how many times, no matter what they do to stamp out the truth, it's it's going to be like trying to you know grab sand in your hand or stamp out a the sparks are going to spread and you're going to have fires breaking out everywhere and they're not That's going right. to know how to handle it. Is it, they they should read the, any read of history tells you, you 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 try to shut down the church, try to shut down the try to shut down God and His Word, and you're going to be the one who's shut down. Or you're going to be brought to repentance, which I would be the better thing. Yes. Um, so I, I, I guess I, I guess I, it's it's an interesting thing to see. Yet one more state, one more government, um, try to try to shut the gospel down. Um, and it may not be this year, may not be next year, may not be a hundred years from now. But but uh, we can be assured that the Canadian government will fall one day, but the kingdom of God will never fall. Amen. And the U.S. The United States may fall one day, but the kingdom of God will never fall. So I guess pick your pick your side. Pick your who do you whose side do you want to be on in the end? That's right. Yeah, I mean it's so obvious, or it's such an interesting um, thing to observe that the 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 power of the state is behind this argument that you can be whoever you want to be because the alternative is an implicit acknowledgement that there's a higher authority than the state. I mean, that's what's so interesting is that if you can't be anything you wanna be, i.e. a girl can't be a boy, a boy can't be a girl, um, well then it brings into question, well, says who? And if you're, if you're the state, well then that's not you. You know, That's not um, Xi Jinping, that's not uh, the party, that's, that's something bigger and much more frightening to those in power than just allowing you to to destroy yourself, to um, to augment yourself, to you know, live your best life now, because we have we have decided that that is the highest level of of you know um, we have a we have given you the that authority, but and it, so it's so again it's it's pretty clear throughout human history that that's where the fight lies. I mean, look at Pharaoh and Moses. You know, who the heck do you think you? I mean, you know, just every literally every single epoch of human history where um god has intervened through his people has been the same conflict has been essentially the idea that there cannot be a power higher than the than the secular idol or the pagan idol of the world and those have always been brought down now the difficulty for that is that sometimes they've been brought down um at great uh, pain and suffering you know the old african proverb about the ele the elephants fighting you know the grass dies you know it's like the two there's a lot of pain that can be endured 
uh, in the midst of those idols being torn down. And yet here we are, as you said, and um, the word of God, you know, endures forever and uh, will continue to preach and trust that God will use the, the foolishness with what we preach to actually bring salvation to, to his people. I was, I was reading uh, about the, the, the plans for Russia, the communist plans for the, the Bolsheviks when they, they took over the government and their plans for the dismantling of state religion. Um, and uh, numerous cathedrals they they blew yeah. up and the priests they jailed and murdered and the, and the bishops well, they, they desecrate authors like, i mean uh, go read the french the french revolution like yeah, the, oh yeah, yeah the biggest yeah. thing was like to desecrate altars like right. people actually thought that was a something worth doing i mean that that's what brings into question like you are so fired up about god and your hatred of him that you want to go in and like you know defecate all over an altar and like that's what you literally you know you want to tear down a statue of mary and put in a statue of reason i mean they want to redo the entire um names of all the months and days so they have no reference at all to i mean you know it's like mac lady Macbeth. like me thinks the lady doth protest too much like you seem to be fighting against more you seem to be fighting against something more than you're fighting for your little transgender you know i am jazz like you don't seem that seems to be that seems to be like a secondary concern of yours because you because that you seem to be a lot more upset about right. the idea of god than you are pro you know drag queen story hour um you know it just it just seems to be you know just when it's futile too i mean like what 60 years after the revolution in russia anyway yeah yeah uh, the the communist regime falls and the church which had been there all along pops back up is if <clears throat> well i learned this firsthand from a monk in romania so romanian orthodox priest we were at this synod in the church of england and he said that same thing he said you know the communists tried to eradicate uh christianity from our country he's like but we knew where it all was he's like you can tear down a church and build over a gas station over our shrines he's like we were just waiting and as soon as it fell we just tore all that stuff down and rebuilt what we knew to be true and i said well thanks be to god i mean i'll never forget that and of course he he referenced that as to how saint helena i think we said this before he his argument was that's how we know that many of the shrines in the holy land are actually authentic because he says that despite the original persecution the original christians knew where all these places were and so when uh, constantine sent his mother um saint helena back to the holy land like the romanian orthodox they all knew exactly where the places were and so they just ripped it all up and built the churches now again <laughs> that's 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 interesting at the very least but that that's where me, we man. are praise god i know that'll preach and teach well i mean just get, get, you know i don't think we should think of ourselves as a unique generation or in a, in a time in history that um is is so utterly different than previous times it, it might be different for us living in the united states in the sense that for the last 200 years we've had the veneer of a judeo-christian uh, culture um that's eroding and it's going away but but we know very very clearly that that uh jesus has told us that the the, the norm is that the world is against christ and and so those who are with christ are going to be are going to find themselves to be targets mm. of of those in the world and, and so that should actually give us some confidence and some some peace and some joy because and not because suffering is fun or, or facing hatred is fun or, or facing those kinds of things is, are entertaining, but because, because the, 
that this just demonstrates the truthfulness of our Lord's words. Amen. Um, that he he was he what he said two thousand years ago has borne itself out every single century, every single year since then. Um, he's the truth, and so he speaks the truth. And because that's true, because because his prediction, his prophecy about the way the world relates to us has has borne itself out, we can also trust, of course, and not just for that reason, for any other reasons, we can also trust the the, the rest of that promise, which is that he will come again. He's going to restore uh, what has been uh, ruined and broken and, and destroyed by sin and uh, and wickedness, and that one day his kingdom will uh, will reside over the entirety of the earth. All the nations and the kings and the presidents and the chancellors will bend the knee and call him Lord, um, and the hills will sing and the trees will sing and the grass will sing and will uh, everything will be it will be well. Take heart, he said, to those who experience trouble in this world, because I have overcome it. Amen. That's going to be all the time we have this week. Uh, we thank you so much for listening. As always, if you'd like to keep the conversation going, you can be in touch with us. You can rate and review the podcast on iTunes or send us an email to mailbag at standfirminfaith.com. We do check the emails. We can't always respond, but we did get that email just this week about those Finnish people. So please do keep those emails coming. You can also join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Uh, thank you to Matt Kennedy and to J.D. Koch. I'm Nick Lannon and Lord Willing. We'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm.